Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. Welcome back to Build It. This week we are speaking to a good friend of ours, Eric Wilcott from Lansing Common FC over in Michigan. Hi, Eric. Hello. Thanks for having me. Not a problem at all. And as ever, my sidekick and better looking partner, John Hall, CEO, President, Head Honcho, whatever you want to be, of DeKalb County United. Hi, John. Hello. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good day. So, Eric, thank you very much for joining us. Um, if you could start, please, by giving us a little bit of background about yourself, and then we'll start talking about Lansing Common in particular. But what's your soccer story? Yeah, so my soccer story, I mean, I, I grew up a soccer fan, grew up watching and playing soccer, um, you know, pretty much my whole life. Um, but I guess as it as it relates more relevant to, to what we're talking about now, um, I moved to Lansing in 2011 uh, for grad school at Michigan State University. Um, and a couple of years after that, uh, I think 2014, uh, Lansing United started up and it was in the NPSL at the time. Um, and when that team started, I actually helped start the supporters group uh, for Lansing United. Um, so we got really involved in supporter culture and, and trying to build that supporters group and really make that environment at those games, you know, really exciting. Um, traveled all over following that team. Um, we, that first year we drove out to, um, to New Jersey for the national semifinal against the Red Bulls. We drove all day, watched the game and then drove straight back that night. Um, I do not recommend doing that, but it was also an experience that was amazing. Um, did a similar trip actually out to Des Moines, uh, Lansing United, their men's team's last ever game. I uh, was in the playoffs in PDL against Des Moines Menace, uh, and we drove out to Des Moines for that game. So had a blast following Lansing United as a supporter and continued to support their their women's team as a supporter. Um, but then, you know, so 2019, um, Lansing United made way for Lansing Ignite, which came to town as a USL League One professional side. Um, and Lansing community was really excited, you know, Hey, we got professional soccer. It's, it's going to be a step up playing downtown. Um, and things actually, despite the fact that the team's no longer here, things went very well. You know, they, I think they had second or third highest attendance in the league. Um, had, I think they finished second in the, in the standings and then the owner decided to, you know, just to kind of fold it in, decided he wasn't making as, as much money as he thought he was going to. Um, and, and that kind of brought us to, to the, the, the you know, beginnings of, of where we are with Lansing Common. Lansing Ignite overtook the MPSL team, right? They just replaced them or? 
Uh-oh. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so the guy who ran Lansing United, um, so they, was, they were NPSL, and then 2018, they moved to USL PDL. So they were kind of mm-hmm. always looking at, like, you know, how, do we, how do we grow? How do we make this? The goal, I think, always was, you know, if we can grow big enough to get a professional side in town. Um, he, he joined up with the ownership of the Lansing Lugnuts, who are the minor league baseball team in town. Um, they, they were interested in, in bringing a soccer team in. And I think that he saw, you know, if they bring a pro team in Lansing United probably would have a hard time competing with that. So he, he thought it best to, to join forces there. Um, so yeah, they kind of were replaced midway for, for Lansing United. Okay. And then um, the Ignite, Ignite only lasted one season, correct? Yeah, yeah. They folded yeah. after their first season. So, at what point did you think I've got a plan? I'm going to do this myself. There were well, actually, one of my friends um, who who was you know was part of the supporters group for Lance United. He actually like early on in the days of Ignite, kind of started poking around. And I think he actually talked to the the guys over at Livonia City. And just started kind of exploring what would it what would it take to start an independent team. I don't think ever really with the intention of doing that. Just kind of like hey, I'm frustrated that the team that I love just got replaced, and so I wanted to see what it would do. Um, pretty much immediately after Ignite um, was announced that they were folding, a group of us kind of started talking and and looking at what we knew from following Lansing United and from some of the conversations we'd had with a few people that run teams um, like Craig over in Livonia and said, you know, we think this is something reasonable that we might be able to do. And so we kind of put out a call in Lansing and said, Hey, this is something we're thinking about. And we, we, we said, we're going to, we're going to get together at Ozone's brew house. Um, and anyone that's interested, come on out. Let's talk about this. And that for me was kind of uh, let's see how many people show up. And if we get a decent amount of people who are excited about this, maybe this is something we can pursue. And if not, it was a good idea and we can have some beer. We packed the brewery that night. Like it was, I mean, full standing room only. And a group of us kind of from there started to, to kind of said, all right, we're going to actually do this. Let's start figuring out the, you know, the logistical steps of how do we, you know, form a nonprofit? How do we elect a board? How do we do all those pieces that we needed to have in place to, to build a soccer club? How many of you were sort of center stage at the pub at the brewery that night? I mean, I was the one standing up talking, um, <laughs> which I think is how I ended up being president of the club. It was like, I was the one willing to actually speak in front of a crowd. And so they said, okay, you get to be the one that's responsible for these things. There was probably seven of us that were kind of doing a lot of the planning for those initial meetings. And most of that group is what now is the, the board of Lansing Common. What was the first decision you made as a, as a group? I think the first decision, well, I guess they were kind of simultaneous. There were one that we were going to do this as a community club. Um, and then along with that, that we would run it as a nonprofit. Um, that was really important to us because, because of the way that Ignite went away, because one person made a decision that, this didn't fit with his long-term plan. We said, if we're going to do this, this needs to be a team that is going to be accountable to the community, um, that we're going to run things in the way the community wants to. We're going to you know, get involved in things in, in our city in the way that members want to do that, um, and that we build an, an identity and a brand that really connects with people. 
Um, so I guess that led us kind of to that second decision of in trying to figure out, okay, who are we? What's our identity? What's our brand? We actually held, um, you know, workshops, meetings, um, I think five of them around the, the Lansing area and just invited the public. So we held them at local community centers and stuff and like a library for one of them and said, anyone in this area, you know, come on out, talk to us about what's important. What do you identify and connect with? And if we're going to build a local soccer club, what are things that you would connect with um, from from your local team? So that's more of a crowdsourced effort than sort of leadership from on high, right? Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah. I think um, that's really I think that's really interesting. The that I think the the teams we've talked to so far, Nick, nobody else had one where there was a club and then all of a sudden a vacancy was created where Eric and the gang could connect with all the like there's already supporter groups for these other clubs that don't exist anymore. So people have this this gap in their social life or whatever that now Lansing Common pops in and says, hey, give us your feedback. We're going to be your club. And I think that's a really, it's, it's, I think it's almost very, very fortunate because you didn't have to create the idea of soccer from scratch. Oh, excuse me. Idea from, of soccer from scratch. It was already there, but there was this, this hole that people needed to fill. And here comes Lansing Common with a very open-minded approach to we want to be here for you and kind of save the day. Right. And I think, I think that's a, that's a unique story that we haven't heard yet. Yeah. Sure. We certainly benefited from the existing soccer culture and, and supporter culture that was in Lansing. Um, and, and, the, you know, some of the, the anger at what happened with Ignite, people channeled that into, okay, we're going to uh, actually one, one of our, one of our board members, at one point kind of jokingly said like we're going to build this club out of spite if we have to <laughs> so what were the what were ignite pulling in their pump you said they were what, top two or three attendance wise what was the catchment yeah i want to i don't have the numbers in front of me i want to say the average was like 3500 or something like that oh, really? um, yeah so they were they were doing maybe it was closer to 3000 but they were doing pretty well um Visually, it never looked like a full stadium because they were playing in a baseball stadium downtown, which seats like 7,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the way seating worked out, you had a lot of people who would kind of line the outfield wall. So if you looked at it on, if you ever watched like a stream, you know, the seats looked mostly empty, but they actually had pretty decent crowds. I think just the ownership was expecting something closer to what they had when the lug nuts had their inaugural season back in the 90s yeah. and averaged like 6,000 fans a game or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so where were you planning on, on common playing this season? Was yeah, it the same so our, no, our, our goal is to play. There's a, there's a high school that has their stadium, their um, football and soccer stadium pretty close to downtown um, right along kind of the main drag through, through Lansing um, so that's that's our goal. Um, that's mm-hmm. been one of the challenges so far um, <laughs> is is getting that nailed down. Um, but that's that's our goal. It, it, Eastern High School in Lansing is the, the location that that we've kind of targeted. And did you have a, a figure a number in your head of how many people you wanted through season tickets or otherwise? So season tickets was interesting. Um, I think 
I think when we but when we kind of put together our initial budget, I think we had targeted a hundred to one hundred and fifty season tickets. Um, you know, by like the start of next of the season. And when we did that, that was like at any levels. So in our memberships, we have, you know, we have multiple levels of, of memberships. And I think we had targeted between 100 and 150 um, total at all levels for that. All right. John, what do, can you off the top of your head, John, do you recall what we targeted on year one season ticket wise? Um, we targeted um, as many as we could get because we were, <laughs> we had no idea. Um, we certainly didn't have anything to to compare ourselves to to pull numbers off of. I think we kind of I think we threw the one hundred number out there. Was there any pushback from the previous market as to why they should get behind a semi pro stroke amateur club as opposed to the professional outfit that was in town before? You know, not that we've heard so far. Um, the more common question that I heard from a few people, not not from people I think who were kind of the most, the most diehard, you know, Ignite or United supporters, but from kind of just more general public and even local media a little bit was, why do you think this is going to work when the last two teams didn't work? Um, yep. Which I always reframed as, I think they did work, you know, Lansing United averaged, I think their last season, they averaged around 700 fans um, at games and Ignite were one of the better attended teams in USL. So I always just flip that back and said, I think they did work. They just weren't set up for a long-term, with a long-term plan. Why did the rest of the population think it didn't work? I think for, for people who, who are not, you know, not following as closely to know the ins and outs of lower league soccer in the U.S. and maybe soccer in general in the U.S., um, or just, you know, saw the headline, Lansing Ignite folds and, and didn't, you know, read – um, you know, read the rest of the article or kind of ask questions yeah. about why that was. Seeing that it folds gives that, right? Like it looks obviously like a failure. A team shows up for one year, ownership decides we're not doing this. It's easy to think, okay, that failed. Um, mm -hmm. But in the context of American soccer, when, like I said, attendance, I think they had the second or third highest attendance in the league. Um, you know, they were, they were good on the field and, I think just the expectation as a of a pro team in the U.S. in year one to make money is probably unrealistic. Um, so I think, you know, Ignite did well comparatively to the rest of the league. And so for people who don't have that context and just look at it as, oh, they were here for a year and then folded, then it's easy to think, oh, it didn't work. When I think we looked at a lot of things and said, overall, it did work. And then also we had a lot of there were a lot of ideas out there for things Ignite could have done better. Um, and I think maybe would have done um, in in year two to better kind of connect to the community and, and try and build on some of the successes they did have. Okay, let's yeah. lean on that bill then. What did, what, to your mind, what did Ignite do wrong? So I think one of the biggest things was that they just didn't give themselves a runway to build. You know, they launched, the announcement was made that they were coming in like October 2018. And March 2019 was when they kicked off. Um, that's, you know, a span of a couple months to basically build an organization. And just from knowing some of the conversations, you know, built leading up to that, there wasn't much in advance of that where they, you know, before they actually knew that they had to start building this team. It was a very, a very short runway. But I think that was not, that was not great. Um, 
I think the the community engagement aspects, I think they tried to do some of that with some of their players and whatnot. Um, but in the buildup to the season, there was not the kind of the community engagement. And I think, again, time might have been a factor in part of that, that they didn't have time to do a really engaged process like we did in terms of branding um, and trying to build that identity with the community. I think, I guess those were probably the top things. I think that having that short runway, trying to rush it and then, and then not really doing, I think as good of a job as they could have in terms of actually connecting with the community um, really didn't help them. You know, Nick, what, Nick, what's scary to me is they drew 3000 fans and didn't connect well with the community. I know. I know that terrible. tells, that tells me that um, the potential with Lance in common is, I mean, could be, uh, you know, nationally recognized if you guys do what the potential is out there. Uh, I think, I think certainly they did something right. And maybe that was having the influx of cash for marketing and ads and things like that. Is there, is there any of the things that they must, they must've done something well. Is there any of that stuff that you've able to get into the nuts and bolts and figure out, Hey, these are things they did that we need to, you know, be on the same page and copy and, and repeat that success. Um, I mean, I, I think one thing they did well was they did. So as they, you know, they obviously changed the branding from Lansing United, but they hired Lansing United's coach. Um, they had the, the owner of Lansing United basically running the soccer side of things for Ignite. Um, they brought in a handful of former Lansing United players so they did a in that way a really good job of connecting to the soccer culture that did exist in the community, um, because it, it did get a lot of you know a lot of people who were diehard Lance United supporters. It got them on board. Um, I think yeah, the advertising um, dollars that they were able to bring helped spread the spread the word about the team because I know that was something as a fan of Lansing United that like five years in I would talk to people all the time who are like who's Lansing United. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we won't have the marketing dollars of Lansing McKnight. Um, but we, it had, you know, it's been one of the things that we've been, that we constantly are talking about and thinking about is how do we tell our story in a way that, that tells the story of who we are and that gets us attention in the community for doing that so that we aren't, you know, a, a well-kept secret, but we're something that people know about so they can connect with us. Oh, isn't that the million dollar question of survival in lower league soccer? How do we get people to know about us, right? Totally. Um, yeah. And how do we get them to give up? Like in England, obviously, Saturday, three o'clock, 3 p.m. is, you know, that's soccer time, but there isn't a soccer time in the US, right? Whether it's Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday lunchtime, Saturday evening, Saturday afternoon, Sunday, it's all over the shop. And I think that lack of continuity. Or not, not a continuity, the lack of placement within a family's calendar during the week is a struggle for every club, right? It's not just our, it's not just our issue. It's not just Lansing issues. If everybody knew that, oh, it's Sunday six p.m. Lansing are playing a soccer game, you could get two thousand people just regardless of who you are because they've got something to do regularly scheduled. As, as as long as people are sharing grounds and facilities, I don't know how people get a schedulized system in place but i think that's a huge thing for american soccer to overcome yeah and you know the um we haven't really talked about this even on this podcast at all but we 
we may have been kind of the first club in our area like this, but um, there was a summer league baseball team, the DeKalb County Liners came through a few years before us. So um, they were around for three years and we, we got compared even in my, you know, I talked about all those early conversations with people in the community and they all said, well, you know, there was a semi-pro baseball team here that didn't work out. So why is your mm -hmm. project going to work out? And those were things, you know, I've talked a lot about that, that you have to be prepared for those kind of difficult questions. And, and I talked to the general manager from the liners and I said, Hey, what went right? What went wrong? Where did you spend your money? Where didn't you spend your money? What would you do different? And, and I think in the same way in Lansing, you're, you're able to learn from a similar, but different club in the same sport. We did the same thing sort of with a baseball team and, and uh, they did, like I said, three years and then decided not to continue to contribute financially and disappeared. And so we thought, well, maybe we can fill that sports gap for people in our community, even though it's a different sport, maybe we can fill that. But um, one of the interesting things, you've got Michigan State in Lansing and you went there, it sounds like, and we've got Northern Illinois University where we play our games. And I'm curious, uh, how much have you been able to tap into maybe the alumni association or, or things within the university for, for whether it's, you know, maybe it'll be game day interns or maybe it's just general awareness that you exist. Uh, is that, is that an avenue you've approached yet? That's actually not one that we've approached, um, yet, but that's actually a really good idea. Um, we, I mean, we've, we've talked about for, you know, for like interns, um, that'll be definitely something that we pursue. Um, but as far as just like general marketing and spreading the word, um, that's not a network we've tapped into and one that we probably should. We've got two, um, my wife and BVB are both NIU alumni and we also have not tapped into the alumni association. So yeah, I'm, it's not like we've done it, but, and I'm not sure how easy it is because it's not university affiliated, but you being alumni, maybe that's, uh. Maybe that's as simple as a, hey, look what one of our alumni is up to now, kind of a profile that they would send out. Because I'm sure Michigan State's database has got to be just huge of people that have connections to the Lansing area. Eric, talk to us about sponsorship for a moment. As John said, there was an existing soccer culture in town, right? So it's not like the problems that John and his crew had of going out there and knocking on doors and saying, we're building a soccer club. What's a soccer club? Everyone knew what a soccer club was in Lansing. Were people more or less, well, you've got nothing to compare it to, but how prepared were people to back you financially? Yeah, so that's been the, the interesting thing that, um, so we, just backing up in terms of timeline, back in late February, as we were going through our, our branding kind of process, and this was you know before COVID hit, we were having conversations do we try and make this happen for 2020 and put a team on the field or do we, you know, take the longer runway and wait till 2021. And so we had had some initial conversations with sponsors back then that were pretty, pretty positive, pretty well received. I think people saw, saw value in, in soccer locally and liked the, the message that we were sharing about how we wanted to do it differently to improve on what had been before. Um, and, and so those were some good conversations that obviously, I mean, we then COVID hits and everything shut down and that helped make our decision for us in terms of what season we would start. 
Um, so we've had, we've had, we've been pretty well received. There have definitely been, I think some, you know, as local businesses are just struggling because of the, the economic issues with the pandemic, that's been a bigger challenge for us, I think, than anyone being resistant to supporting local soccer. Um, just, you know, so just having people say that's sponsorship, not something we can think about right now. Um, and for us, that creates a, you know, a different opportunity maybe to talk with with some businesses about okay are there rather than a, you know a financial sponsorship or is there some in-kind sponsorship that they can provide and then maybe something we can do to support them beyond just like you know put a, a billboard up at a game or whatever um or a banner up at a game to try and really build those relationships now so that maybe as the economy improves in a couple seasons they are able to consider more uh, a financial sponsorship. Um, we've been lucky that we've had a couple of sponsors that have come big and been kind of on board right from the beginning. So Ozone's Brewhouse um, is our, they're our Jersey sponsor for next season. And they've been pretty committed to that since, uh, I mean, from, from early on in conversations, um, they've kind of become one of like Lansing's soccer bar. And, and they, I think saw a big benefit from the relationship with Ignite and having Ignite supporters watching games there and stuff. Um, so they've been on board, you know, Jersey sponsor, they brewed us a beer already. Um, so it's been great having some kind of strong support from a few as we try and kind of expand and figure out, okay, who has capacity still to provide some financial sponsorship and, how do we build relationships with organizations right now that because of the economy can't give us money, but there may be another relationship to be made there. What's your, um, you know, you're obviously it's a best guess at this point. What's your revenue? Uh, what are your revenue sources? How are you guys funding sponsorships will be part of it. What else are you guys doing to kind of bring in the money that you think you're going to spend in year one? Yeah, so sponsorships is definitely part of that. And then memberships is another big piece of that. Um, so again, as a nonprofit, we have with a member elected board, um, our, we have it's kind of our, our membership season ticket combo. So people can buy as a season ticket member. Um, we also offer like family membership packs. And then we have our founders member membership pack, which is just kind of a little bit higher level still gets the season ticket. Everyone, any member gets the same same vote. Um, so those are kind of our big um, our big sources of income so far. Um, you know, just general merchandise, selling sh selling shirts, scarves, all that stuff. But our goal really is to between sponsorships and memberships have you know have our our budget covered um, before we actually sell any single game tickets. I think that's exactly like it, it, it aligns with the way we've done things. And I, I like, I, I know that can work. One of the things that I always have in the back of my mind, sometimes I'm a pessimist a little bit because I'm, I'm fearful for um, you said, you mentioned 2008, right? We had a, we had a very a difficult recession that we got through, but I'm thinking back to 10 years ago, during that recession, nobody would sponsor anything. People didn't have jobs and they weren't going to buy memberships for their local clubs and organizations. And again, I'm just being a pessimist here, but this is how my mind thinks. But like to kind of put in 
a plan for like, man, if there's a recession and there, there will be eventually, right. Whether it's next year, five years, 20 years, whatever, how do we build a sustainable club that can withstand a downturn in the economy that affects businesses and people? Because, um, I think, I think if there's a recession, a lot of clubs like us are going to struggle to get through it. And not that I expected you to have like, Oh, we have a plan for that. You know, like that's, but, but those are the things when, when you're so sponsor and membership reliant, as so many of us are, it's, it's amazing how fickle we are as clubs, you know, as strong as we are with our league relationships and now Midwest premier league and NISA and all this stuff. But it, it, it could literally two thirds of us could be gone in the blink of an eye if the economy takes a turn and some benefactor isn't there to pick us up, you know? So I think one of the things that we can do as clubs is work so hard on positioning ourselves as integral parts of our communities, right? Not, oh, we're a soccer club and we play in Lansing or we play in DeKalb or we play in Sacramento but we are the soccer club of Lansing or DeKalb or Sacramento, that we are so much more than a soccer club. We're a hub for community outreach and for hospitality and for youth pro programs and anything and everything, right? It's just The more we diversify from the on-field product, the stronger we position ourselves within our communities, I think. And therefore, the less likely John's worst-case scenario comes to hit us. I wish that if this was a video, people could see me nodding along as you're saying that. Um, <laughs> I, I said in one of our early meetings, actually, I said, I want us to be a community organization that happens to run a soccer club. Um, Absolutely. I think if, if we do that, I think, like you said, like in, in tough times or, you know, kind of whatever happens, we will be, we'll, we'll be ingrained in the community and there'll be value to it aside from the soccer side of things. And I think that that helps with that longevity. Absolutely. Absolutely. You look at the historically long-term clubs that are in our, you know, across the country. I'm thinking of the Milwaukee Bavarians and various clubs in New York, the, the Brooklyn Italians, and, what, and I'm sure there's clubs in your area as well. They are rooted in their community. And back in that day, back in the time, you know, they were particularly ethnic communities. And thankfully, we do, or hopefully, we don't necessarily have to be stick to ethnic groups not so more but we do have to still be mindful of the communities that we represent and to be a club not a soccer club but a club where people go where people identify and people socialize is so much more is such a long-term strategy i think it's to me it's a no-brainer but i just i just am surprised when clubs don't do that yeah absolutely completely agree one of the things i was going to ask eric and i'm going to try to not talk a lot but you mentioned the Ignite didn't do a lot of community engagement stuff. What kind of things are you guys planning to rectify that with your club? Yeah, so one of the things um, actually that we're getting getting ready to kind of launch is is pulling together some specific, you know com committee kind of structures of that you know groups that can pay attention to some of that stuff specifically in our organization. So like community outreach, rather than having like me or even our board be the ones kind of dictating that we'd like that to be something that our members and others in the community that want to see us engage kind of are involved in a few specific things that we've already done you know we've done 
Um, so we, we did our scarf competition against Livonia city back in August and we donated 51.7%, which that's just a nod to our area code is 517. Um, but donated 51.7% of the proceeds to the Lansing educational advancement foundation, which goes to support, um, students and teachers in Lansing schools. We did all, we did a fundraiser also with, um, uh, pride shirts and pride stickers for a local LGBTQ plus community center that was, you know, in financial, financial hardship. Um, one of the big things we really want to do is, you know, we, we said, I said, we want to play at one of the local high schools and we really want to be more, be a partner to the local school district. Um, I think there's a lot of things we could do, whether it's like, you know, backpacks, school supply drives, um, at, at games, you know, whether it's like a classroom of the week or a school of the week where those students get to come to the game for free or something, or we find ways for our players to engage with, with different schools in the school district. I think that's an area that, you know, we, that a, a big opportunity um, for us to engage and connect with, with people in Lansing um, and, and, and make a difference in, in a way that way. There's so much focus on the, the product, right? There's the, oh, we must win the league or we must get in the playoffs or we must do this, we must do that. We must provide a winning team. And we'd love a winning team. Everybody wants a winning team. You know, we want to get the best strikers and the best. But it's the game day experience, right? It's the community positioning that we alluded to. It's The whole package is so much more important than the 90 minutes. And I think by doing the community outreach and positioning yourselves as a focal point within the community that's putting something back, people just naturally come to you, is my experience of America, way more than so in England. You have to fight for your place within the high street or within the, the shopping mall or whatever it is, you have to prove your worth. But once you do, I think the client, the clientele, the customers, the fans are immensely loyal, but you and faithful, but you've got to get their energy first. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say too, related to that, that's one of the reasons why we're targeting the location we are for where we want to play. So Lansing United, um, where they played was a beautiful soccer complex just outside of, of East Lansing, actually. Um, beautiful soccer complex, but kind of in the middle of nowhere on the outside of town where nobody ended up there by accident. Nobody drove by and said, hey, what's that event going on there? Maybe I'll check it out. You know, if you went there, it was because you knew you were going for a Lansing United game. Whereas the, the stadium that we're hoping to play with play in is very close to downtown Lansing, right like in a community along a main street through town that I think there's so much more opportunity there for us on game day, you know, obviously just like the game and getting attention for that, but also if we can do events in the community around game day, whether it's like, an, uh, you know, before the game, you know, food truck rally, that kind of thing, or whatever else it is that we come up with um, because our stadium, hopefully fingers crossed, knock on wood, all that is going to be actually in a community. Um, I think that that gives us so much more opportunity to, involve people so much more in in that game day experience what were your who did you speak to what were your learning resources of, apart from you know leaning on the people that had already done ignite yeah so uh craig and ben over with livonia city and Mehmed with lake st Clair have been incredibly helpful um, through this whole process 
Um, we also reached out to um, the guys down at Himmersh FC in Florida since they, you know, they have a similar kind of membership um, model. So those were kind of ones that people that we talked to pretty directly. I had a couple of email exchanges with um, the people that run San Francisco City FC. Um, so really, it started out just kind of reaching out, like just Google searching for like community owned or community run soccer clubs in the US. Um, and that was how I, I reached out to John as well. Um, and, and so a lot of that, and then we also pulled just some experiences from uh, two of us, myself, and then our, our vice president, Jeff, our, um, you know, we're owners or part owners, whatever of AFC Wimbledon. Um, so we're able to kind of take some of the things we've seen from how AFC Wimbledon engages the, the Don's trust, um, and, and pull some ideas from there as well. It's, it's always interesting to me to see how lionized and idolized the, the AFC Wimbledon model has become over time, because uh, this is not the time of the place, but I, I have other thoughts on it. If you could, if there's one mistake that you could undo thus far, is there one mistake you would undo thus far? Um, I think the biggest thing so far, maybe that we weren't prepared for was, uh, just merchandise operations. Um, part of that, part of that is that we've sold far more than what we, I think could have imagined we would in a very short time. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of, it's kind of been a, a, you know, who has the box of merchandise and the stuff to do shipping. And then that person ends up doing a lot of work for a couple of weeks and then passes it off to somebody else. Um, so I think figuring out a more organized structure to kind of balance some of the workload on merchandise um, and be able to get stuff out to people a little bit more quickly. If we had had any, you know, if we had planned a little bit better for that, um, I think we were so focused on everything else leading up to our launch and kind of thought, Hey, you know, if we sell a few scarves and a few t-shirts, that'll be great. And didn't put a whole lot of thought <laughs> beyond that. By the time this goes to air, we will have also published our recent interview with our chief director of operations, Morgan. And she spent a lot of time talking about merchandising specifically in that episode. So, you know, too little, too late for you guys, but hopefully someone will learn something from it. But certainly merchandising, A, is, you know, is an easy, shiny thing for people to get behind for bringing money in. But the logistics behind it in terms of shipping and production and design and everything else, yeah, it can be an absolute nightmare. As yeah. you can it. And the design and production piece, we're, we've actually been really lucky. And I, you know, you guys have talked on this podcast about how important it is to have people with, with different skill sets and, and, you know, really involved in your club. And so Jeff, who designed our logo, um, he's a vice president on our board. Um, he does, I mean, he does design for, for sports apparel, like in Jersey design for his job. Um, so he, you know, in terms of designing shirts and apparel, all that stuff, you know, he's able to do that. We've got another, um, one of our members who does design and also runs, uh, like a, an apparel print shop. So they are able to print stuff for us. And also like, you know, if, if we need two of something, I can just, you know, text Dustin and say, Hey, we need two of these. Can you get them to me? And we're able to do a little bit more custom stuff with that, which is great. That is, um, that is a great boon. Yeah, for sure. John, have you got any questions that you want to ask? I guess the one thing I am curious, obviously Lansing uh, common joined the Midwest premier league and we were thrilled to add them at the league level. Obviously you don't get too far ahead of yourselves, but have you put together that long-term ambition or is it, uh, 
a little more short-sighted at this point survival for now yeah i think we're you know our, our we talked about this a little bit so if anyone listening wants another podcast to listen to we have a, a podcast the robin needed a podcast um and we talked about a little about this a little bit on one of our recent episodes of like what is what does success look like and what are our long-term goals um and I think kind of what we all agreed on was that success for us is more about that impact that we have on community and, and, and existing, you know, being sustainable. Um, and I think the, the only thing I added on to that is, you know, if I think if we are as successful as we can be, we will have interest from higher leagues potentially, you know, the, I saw the NISA nation thing come out yesterday and, you know, stuff like that. I don't know that success necessarily means we take that step. I think that for us is the the primary thing we've said from day one is being responsive to our community, doing this sustainably so that we're around for the long term. Um, so to, for me, that's the long term vision is that we are those things. And if we can do those things and also take a next step at some point, then that would be a conversation that we would have. Let your community guide you, right? Yeah. The community yeah, will, will tell you where they want you to go. And, and as we've talked about, you get if you get 16 matches times two hours that's 32 hours to make an impact on the field but you have hundreds of hours throughout the year to make an impact on the community and yeah. and, and we align with that focus and i also eric understand the idea of being the one who does the public speaking gets to be the president so <laughs> i fully uh admire your short straw that you drew there buddy <laughs> yep he and, says that like he doesn't enjoy it i don't i don't mind it but <laughs> I, I also don't mind when somebody else wants to do it. Uh-huh. I believe it. I want to see it. <laughs> um, Eric, have you got a question for John that you would like to bring to the table? Yeah. So I guess the as I was thinking about this, because I figured this would come up um, or an opportunity for a question, How, in terms of like roster building and even more broadly, just like relationship with the coach of, of the team, how do you manage that? You know, is roster building completely – the coach's responsibility and you just you know the, the rest of your hands off is that a collaborative effort and then how do you kind of work in terms of supporting the coach and the coach supporting the organizational goals okay we haven't talked about this i'll i'll try to be as somewhat brief as i can our our coach um uh honestly it was part of our early talks was you build the roster as you see fit because i make enough decisions regarding the club day to day that deciding which uh, 22 year old from what college is going to make the team and which one isn't is, is one that is quite honestly, that's not my skill set. So um, our coach handles all aspects of the roster, playing time, all that stuff. All of our players understand that you don't go to the board and complain about playing time. You don't go to any other staff member talk to your coach. You're not playing for a reason. So go talk to him. So the coaching staff, coaching staff has full authority to make those roster decisions. Um, our head coach of the first team is on, uh, he's participates on our advisory board that meets monthly. So we get some input on other, you know, other community initiatives, things we're doing. And, and personally, he and I have a good relationship. Uh, we haven't talked as much maybe this year as we usually do, but we kind of have like a check-in call every week or two. Um, 
and he kind of tells me what's going on with the team, if especially during the season when they're training twice a week, playing on the weekend. And he gives me that, like, all right, well, these guys are really looking good. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about this. So we just we just communicate, and I support his decisions. I mean, that's ultimately that's his job. And as Nick knows, I like to get my nose in too many things. So if I can delegate fully, that's what I do. So from a from a coaching aspect, that's that's kind of how we handle it. If there's an issue I need to get involved with, or somebody else needs to get involved with, we're absolutely there to do it. Um, I actually don't attend most practices. I I like to pop out maybe once every two or three weeks and just grab a coffee and go watch because it's fun for me to get a hour and a half or two hour break, just watching the team, you know, and that's kind of a fun thing. And, and the couple times I've showed up to do that, a lot of times you come over and he'll start talking X's and O's with me. And I'm like, yeah, I, here's what I think as a soccer guy, but that's your call. You know, I, I don't know. I don't see the guys every day. I don't know who's missing practice, who's doing these different things. So so I know you guys just recently appointed your uh, manager, which is cool. And that's something we haven't talked a lot about. Actually, I'd like to have our coach, uh, like to have Coach Gasan on sometime. And and maybe we could chat with him about it, the way we do it. And maybe there's something that he would like a little more support or a little less support. But uh, I'm going really to try to keep him to bring that up in the podcast, right? Oh, yeah. Why not? Might as well bring it up in public. <laughs> bring it up to everybody. because. But I think, but but honestly, he's also like, he really... Um, I think your your coach has some collegiate experience or is a college coach right now, right, Eric? Is that yeah, he, he is a college coach right now, yep. So so I mean for our coach, we've talked about this. He was he was in the high school game for a long time. He had coached a little bit at the junior college level, and he just like he was ready for that next challenge for himself as a coach, too. So one of the nice things of having him has been that he's been able to build a, a little bit of a culture within the team now being that this would have been his third year where players understand the expectations and it's in um, it's not, we're not, it's not a revolving door every year. There's a new coach with a new vision and and that's hard to follow even at the pro level where teams are changing. And, um, and so I think our coach, uh, I think, I think coach Gasson has enjoyed the experience and enjoyed being a part of not just the soccer stuff, but also those community things and those ideas and, and the bigger picture of what the club is about. So I think, uh, you know, for whatever we're doing, I think it's working. Um, I, I'd love to hear how other people manage it. And to be quite honest with you, again, here I go rambling. Doesn't like to I talk asked, anywhere. Doesn't like the sound yeah, of his own voice. <laughs> but, I, but, but I reached out in one of our early years, and I actually reached out to Peter Wilt, and I said, hey, Peter, how did you handle it when you had a – like, if I have a question, why are you playing this guy in this position? Like, to me, it makes no sense. But again, that's your job. But how do I bring it up to a coach without seeming like I'm looking over his shoulder? You have full authority to make the decisions, but explain it to me. And and Peter just kind of gave me that advice that you can always ask the questions. It doesn't, you know, you just have to build that relationship with the coach. So um, it's hard sometimes to take your soccer fan, you know, used to coach soccer, used to play soccer. I think I know the game, but... I don't want to be the coach and you have to kind of just figure out where you're uh, where you're going to draw the line with your staff. And, and as Nick tells me, go be the president. You're, you don't need to deal with other things. He's got Peter Wilson in his phone book, you know? Yeah. You got to be connected. <laughs> yeah. True enough. I'm just intrigued. Have you got any soccer recommendations for it? Be it podcasts or books or movies or whatever. 
that you think we should check out? The Robin um, needed a podcast. There the, you Robin, go. the Robin needed a podcast. And so, so that I will just quick plug for that one. If you go back to, it used to be called Capital Combustion because that podcast started out as a Lansing Ignite podcast. Um, but if you go back to the episodes starting in like November, we kind of have been telling the story as we do it for Lansing Common. Um, so there's a little bit, a little bit of kind of the behind the scenes there. Not, I don't know if it's a specific soccer thing right now. A book that I'm reading that I'm really enjoying is Loving Sports When They Don't Love You Back, um, which I think, which which talks about a lot of the just kind of the comp, the things that are complicated about being a sports fan, especially in in you know modern times as things get commercialized and you know some of the things that used to be so community based are now more about business than than the community and i think it there's some lessons in there that we can we can learn in terms of how do we maintain those those ties to the community um as we try and build something at a lower level if you ping me the details i'll put those in the show notes which is a sentence i never thought i'd utter <laughs> maybe we'll start rolling out some show notes too um so yeah, okay. Thank you for that. That's, yeah, I, I'm going to check that out myself for sure. Um, sweet. If no one else has got anything else to add, I think we're done, gentlemen. I think it's wonderful, Eric. Thank you very much for the time, and it's. Uh, I'm looking forward to working with you, obviously within the league and uh, collaborating on on things which you and I have already started working on one little project for the league together. And and I hope the uh, I hope all the best for Lansing Common and and continued growth within your area and the state of Michigan and, and best of luck to you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you again for having me on. And like I said, you guys have been a great resource, you know, before the podcast, but I've also loved getting to, to listen to the podcast and learn more about how you guys are running things. It seems to be working pretty well. So thank you. We hope Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you guys. Now the time has come for leaving. Then now we shall return. So glad we could make it, but so sad we gotta run. Well, it might be a long time till we raise another glass. You can rest assured that next time we'll have ourselves a laugh.